It's another rendition of PeterPowers.com's podcast, A Few Extra Bucks. I am merely Mike Neighbors. We'd like to thank our title sponsors, House of Brews and Sea Dog Brewing Company. Great brews, great food, great service. You know, generally, what we've been doing for the past few months is previewing the games the Bucks are going to be playing. But in my humble opinion, we'll get to Roy Cummings in just a second, and we'll get to Justin Thomas in just a second, our esteemed producer. This is kind of my theme when thinking about the playoff picture for the Bucks. Even though the Eagles lost, even though the Vikings lost, here's what my role theme for the Bucks is right now. But it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. I tell you, it just doesn't matter. 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 I'm sorry, I hate to be the, the bearer of bad news, but uh, Justin Thomas, you pulled down a Meatballs Classic by Bill Murray. Uh, how, how do you feel about the Bucks right now? They're, they're, you know, they're just mired in this mediocrity, a broken record every week. I know they're still alive mathematically, but I don't think it matters. No, absolutely not. I, I, the only thing left to play for is job spots and pride. Roy, am I way off base here? How do you feel? A cla- as you said, a classic meatballs Bill Murray uh, clip there. Well done. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. I hate to say it, but it's the truth. Uh, look, this this franchise is spinning its wheels. I don't even know how you feel if they win the last three games. They'd have to win them pretty uh, pretty handily and rather impressively. Um, to, in order, I think, for people to really change their opinions at this point. I'm, and I, look, I'm, I'm pretty much an optimist. You know, I, I usually find, you know, the areas of the Buccaneers game that, that are, that are play, where they're playing well and, you know, where they've got room to grow. And I got to be honest, for one of the few times since I've started covering this franchise, I'm kind of at the point now where I'm kind of throwing my arms up and saying, what, what in the world? And, you know, I hate to say that because we're basing all that on one bad half of football and 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 here's okay so here i go into my you know glass half full <laughs> mode maybe we're basing it too much on one bad half of football it was a critically bad half of football but you know mike we both mentioned i think at halftime of that game you and i you know we were both kind of thinking wow how about this bucks team all of a sudden and you know they just couldn't sustain it but again it, it seems like every time this team takes two two steps forward it takes it takes three steps back, and I think that's where they are yet again. And so, look, they've got to go in order to change this viewpoint. They've got to go on the road to Baltimore, win impressively there, follow it up, win impressively in Dallas, and then come home and show that you're a better team than the Atlanta Falcons, which I don't think you know even on paper a lot of people would think is the case. So, yeah, I suppose maybe they can turn the narrative around, but. It just seems to me right now like this is a franchise that's spinning its wheels and uh, it needs to find a new direction. You know what, though? It's not just one bad half. Uh, they should have beaten the Redskins. They should have beaten the Giants. And if they would have taken care of business against those two teams, I don't care what happens against the Saints. When you look at what has happened in the NFC with the Vikings, with the defending world champion Philadelphia Eagles, with the rest of the supposed great NFC South, Carolina Panthers, Atlanta Falcons, the NFC South is a boatload of underachievers, and the Bucks had a chance, despite all the craziness in their season, for redemption. 
And we talk about the bad half of football against the Saints. That's what losers do, and that's what winners do. The Saints were winners and didn't play their best football but found a way to win. And I'm hearing stuff in the locker room afterwards with the Bucs. Oh, they had more energy. Well, you know what? That's because you sound like a loser. Losers say that after games. So if I'm Dirk Cutter, uh, you know, I'd be impressed if he won his last three. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Dirk Cutter should maybe adopt this motivational tactic moving forward. Even if we win, even if we play so far over our heads that our noses bleed for a week to 10 days, even if God in heaven above comes down and points his hand at our side of the field, even if every man, woman, and child held hands together and prayed for us to win, it just wouldn't matter because all the really good-looking girls would still go out with the guys from Mohawk because they got all the money. Amen, Bill Murray. You know what? All the good-looking girls are hanging out in New Orleans, in L.A., in Chicago, in Seattle, and probably at the end of the day, maybe Minnesota, because you know what? It doesn't matter, Roy. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, I hear you, and I can't disagree. I, You know, it's, it's a very frustrating time for a Buccaneers team that has horribly underachieved. And you know what? Maybe it all goes back to the beginning of the year without Jameis Winston and they were out of sorts. But, you know, even even then, you know, you, you won the first two games. You, you, you were playing with house money at that point. Nobody expected that. I shouldn't say nobody. Very few people expected that to happen. And you just couldn't keep it going. And it's it's just very disappointing. And, you, you know, uh, look, if the, if the Glazers at this point decided we're going to blow it all up, fire everybody, get rid of – we're going to trade Gerald McCoy and Levante David and even Jameis Winston and just start from scratch and, you know, try to be like the Houston Astros or the Cubs in baseball and say, you know what, we're going to blow it all up, tear it down to the to the bone, bare bones and start all over again. I couldn't blame them. I really couldn't because I think they've been trying for years now to, you know, to, to, to find that that chemistry, that that right fix, the, the right, uh, you know – group that's going to make this team representable again and relevant and respectable and they just can't find it it's just it's just unbelievable this franchise hasn't won a playoff game in 16 years you look at the new orleans saints last week you know sean payton's been their head coach since 2006 you talk about blowing it up well they blew it up they blew it up with raheem morris they blew it up with greg shiano they blew it up again with lovey and now you wonder about dirt cutter and before we get on to Dirk Cutter and, and the future, and we're going to play GM, all three of us, in a second, Dirk Cutter had this to say about being mathematically alive in the playoffs and his message to his team right now. I think you you just play them. You know, we, we talk about playing the best we can every week, and wherever it falls, it falls. So even though that's all true, that's, that's, uh, that's not what we talked about today. That just sounds like a guy resigned to the fact he's getting fired, Roy. I, I, maybe I'm reading this wrong, but I, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not ready to like break chairs right now and run out in the football field when I hear that. Yeah, sure. I, I think he's been resigned to that fact for a while. I think the two-game winning streak uh, buoyed him a little bit, uh, yeah. gave him gave him some spirit. But um, you know, again, I think he you can't help but look at it objectively, even if you're on the inside the way he he is, and see a whole lot there that that gives you. A, you know, a lot of hope. Um, again, it's an organization, a franchise that just 
it can't seem to put it all together and and do everything right. I mean, once again, you know, last week, uh, a kicker can't make two kicks, criti- two critical kicks. Um, you know, Dirk mentioned it himself on Monday. Look, if we're up, you know, 16 po- 17 points at that at that stage, if we're up 20 to three, yeah, there's nothing to keep the Saints from coming back on us. But at the end of the day, that's a three score lead. And, you know, in order to get three scores, you got to work pretty hard. And, you know, that doesn't suggest that we can't, you know, get the ball in the end zone again or, you know, put some more points on the board ourselves and, and, and make it harder for them. So those kicks were critical. Obviously, the, the block punt was critical. And it, it just kind of shows you – and, look, I understand how momentum shifts happen in all sports. It really does. Um, that can change in an instant, in a flash. And it did the other day uh, with that block punt. But a lot, I've heard a lot of people wonder, you know, why does one block punt like that, you know, change your momentum so much? Well, look, when, when you're not that strong a team mentally to begin with, when winning is something that you go out basically hoping to do, not expecting to do, and I, as much as the Bucks may want to say otherwise, that's where, where they are. They're a team that goes out every week hoping that they can win, hoping that, you know, some kind of uh, calamity doesn't uh, derail them. Uh, as it did this past week, or two or three calamities derailed them. Uh, you go out hoping to win, hoping that hey, if we play every, if we do everything just right, we just we can win this game. That that's how they're that's what their attitude is. Not hey, we can go out and even if we screw up half the stuff we're doing, we're still going to win because we're better than the other guys. They don't have that attitude. They really don't because they know they're not. And uh, and whether it's you know the defense saying that about the offense, or the offense saying that about defense, or both of them saying about special teams, or you know, I'm saying about how they're going to, you know, coach within the game or, you know, what decisions they're going to make, that kind of thing. They know at some point something's going to go against them. And in order to, to win, they have to play perfect football. And who plays perfect football? It's, it's, it just doesn't happen. So, yeah, I think it's um, there's a psyche issue there. And clearly uh, it's it starts at the top and he's he's deflated. There's no doubt about it. He's got reason to be deflated. I think he knows that uh, it's over for him. He's had his shot as a head coach. It didn't work out. And I think the real, the only thing left for Dirk Cutter to decide is, you know, what do I do next? Do I try to stick around and become a coordinator somewhere and quietly, uh, ride off into the sunset? Or, uh, do I just basically say, you know what? I made a few million dollars off this head coaching gig. Uh, I, I love it in the, in the Northwest. It's cheap living up there. I'll go up there and live the rest of my life real quiet with my family. You know what? It's interesting you say that because I know he's from the Northwest, beautiful part of the country, Idaho. And I, every time I see him speak like that at a press conference, and I'm not blaming Dirk Cutter for everything this season. In fact, I like Dirk Cutter in a lot of ways. And you got to give him credit the way this offense has played, the numbers they've put up. You know, he's done his job in a lot of ways. But when he talks like that, I've thought about that, Roy, that, you know what? He's made a lot of money in the league. And he's accomplished quite a bit in terms of maybe, I don't know if he ever thought he'd get a chance to be a head coach in the NFL and, and do the things that he's done. I almost feel like in the back of his mind, you know, I'm playing with house money and I'm not, I have no body telling me that that's the sense I get. You know what? It didn't work out. I'll move on with my life type attitude. Yeah. I, I could see if that's the case, you know, uh, look, I think he was, he, he had, you know, there's a reason he got this job. Let's not forget that. The reason Dirk Cutter got this job as head coach was because he did a, a really good job as an offensive coordinator with the Buccaneers at a time when, you know, a couple of teams showed some interest. Uh, the Buccaneers were afraid they might lose him. So they wanted to move before someone else 
took him away. Um, you know, he had a little bit of leverage there. So he took advantage of it. Good for him. Um, you know, I, I, I remember, I don't know if he ever, you know, really wanted that much to be a head coach. I, I guess he did. Um, you know, it, it's something somebody offers you. You probably don't turn it down, but I think he would have been just as happy staying around as a, as an offensive coordinator, but you know, the opportunity came, he took advantage of it, said, yeah, I'll give this thing a shot. I think I can do it. Get some good people around me. Uh, like Mike Smith, who'd been a head coach, uh, Nate Katzer, who he's had before and uh, has been a pretty good special teams uh, coordinator for a few teams in the NFL. Um, and it didn't work out. You know, why didn't it work out? Well, uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's the players really that have to, have to take the, the responsibility. I, I don't think it was a case of them not setting him up because let's face it, the offense works. Uh, the defense works at times. Um, it really is just, you know, like you say, things like energy, that's, you know, this team just gets derailed very easily. And uh, sometimes, you know, head coaches can't stop that kind of stuff. Well, it's not Dirk Cutter's fault that a kicker on this Buccaneer football team cannot make a kick between 40 and 50 yards. It's unbelievable. It's really crazy. And it's not Dirk Cutter's fault that, you know, Ryan Jensen is getting penalized for 100 yards this season, and it continued in the game against the New Orleans Saints. And here's what Dirk said about Ryan Jensen's uh, uh, continued uh, penalty-ridden play. When we brought Ryan here, we, we knew – he was the type of player. I mean, we wanted Ryan. We wanted to bring a type of player with Ryan's uh, aggressiveness here. And you know, Ryan. We talked to Ryan about playing close to the not close to the line, but not crossing over the line. I, the reason I wanted to play that clip, Roy, Ryan Jensen. Remember what a big deal that was. Remember how every Buccaneer fan signed off on that. We need a hard-nosed, tough guy in the middle. Last year. You know, Joe Hawley wasn't the biggest guy in the world. Or Ali Marpet. A lot of these guys, Ali Marpet wasn't a true center. We need to move him back. Ryan Jensen will be that guy. It just seems like Ryan Jensen, to me, personifies the Bucks this year. A lot of hype, a lot of expectations. Yeah, that was a good move. And once again, it didn't really work out. Yeah, good point. Real good point. Uh, I think you're right. Uh, I think he does personify the Bucks, much like Deshaun Jackson personifies yeah. the Bucks. Over the last two years, a lot of hype, but everybody signed off on it saying, oh, yeah, this is what we got to do, uh, which, by the way, uh, just about every time the Buccaneers sign a free agent, um, you know, you hear the fans saying, oh, yeah, good move. That's what we need. Let's go get more. Um, you know, fans want they just think, you know, bringing in players like that just instantaneously makes you better. And, uh, you know, while it works on paper, it, there's a lot more involved in it. But uh, and they're finding that out. They'll probably never admit it. But. Uh, it's why I kind of always chuckle when every time there's a you know somebody out there on the free agent market, the Bucks want everybody want them to, you know Bucks fans want them to go pick them up right away. That's got to be our guy because you do you do that, and you know what you you definitely that you've maintained that since I've known you that hey let's just pause, take a deep breath, and see how this plays out. Yeah, and and the truth because the truth of the matter is you usually hit it about fifty percent on free agency as well. Um, the, you, you can't really gauge what a player is going to do when he gets the money. Um, the expectations become extremely high for players. Uh, sometimes they're not put in the same position that they were prior to, you know, to, in the position that really made them, uh, you know, so attractive in the first place. Uh, you, you're asking them to do a little bit more because you're paying them more. You're, you're putting them in a different spot, a different scheme. Um, you know, sometimes guys just happen to have a good season and you're trying to, you know, 
capture lightning in a bottle for a second season in a row and it doesn't work out. Uh, free agency is a funny thing. And uh, I'll say this over the course of, you know, I don't think Bucks fans really can complain too much about what their general managers over the course of the years uh, have done in free agency. You know, go back to Mark Dominic and, you know, they, 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 they had the highest paid center then and they, they brought in the highest paid tight end and they brought in the highest paid receiver and Vincent Jackson. I mean, they're always bringing in the highest paid this, that, or the other, and it seldom works out. It's not about the money you spend, really. Sometimes you're better off just, you know, spending, uh, you know, going after Class B free agents and, and hoping that they, you know, fit into a role that uh, allows you to be better on a certain down as opposed to, you know, trying to get an every down player to play, you know, really above his pay grade, perhaps. So, um it's really a tough thing, but, you know, fans love free agency and they want to see the teams make a splash. And if they don't, they think they're doomed. And funny thing about it is uh, all the great, you know, all the decent moves the Bucks have made in free agency, they haven't made a difference either. Well, it's interesting you bring up Mark Dominic, and he was the former Bucks general manager. I want us all to play general manager. But first, Jason Light, basically in his fifth year, he's going to finish with about the same record Mark Dominic finished in his tenure with the Bucks. And is it fair that he gets more time, Roy? Do you see a difference in the Jason Light era compared to the Mark Dominic era? Well, here's the thing. I didn't think Mark Dominic was a bad general, man- general manager. I thought he was a very good uh, evaluator of talent. Um, Mark Dominic was unfortunate to have Raheem Morris, who wasn't ready to be a head coach as his first head coach. Greg Schiano as the second, who wasn't fit for the NFL as a head coach. Um, Jason Light had, you know, I, I think he had a better start with Lovey Smith, who, in my opinion, is a legitimate NFL head coach. But Lovey Smith didn't have any players. And when Lovey Smith had a little bit of power and basically made most of the calls in the first year in terms of free agency again, he brought in guys like Anthony Collins and, you know, those types, guys who basically got their money and said, I'm good. And they never played hard. And then, uh, you know, and then he's got, uh, and then he's got Dirk Cutter, you know, who doesn't isn't really a head coach. So I think, you know, if I'm a general manager, I'm, I'm probably, you know, saying, look, you know what this team needs? It needs a Rich McKay type. It needs someone who understands the NFL and understands it, you know, so well that he can help build a friend. He can help, you know, bring in the right head coach bring in the right assistant coaches, things like that. I think the Bucks need someone over the whole thing, right below ownership, but above the general manager who can make the call the shots here and set this team up for long-term success. Um, not take, you know, a flyer on, on the next hot coordinator. Uh, in a, in a, they need a Tom Coughlin type, somebody who knows – how to build an NFL championship caliber team. Um, not a lot of college guys can do it. There's not a lot of NFL guys that really know how to do it. They're hard to find, but I think that's what they need. Basically somebody who's done it before. Yeah. Um, all right, let's play uh, Bucks general manager because my, my whole theme, and it just doesn't matter because it doesn't. The Bucks aren't going to make the playoffs. They're not going to have a winning record. It's another disappointment in Tampa Bay. Let's go around the horn here a little bit. I'll start with uh, Justin. Um, if you're the Bucks general manager, what's your number one priority this offseason to turn this uh, Titanic around? Uh, 
I think it starts at the top. So I would go with head coach. I think, I mean, it's amazing how a coach can come in and change the whole attitude of a team. That happened with Sean McVay with the Rams. Most of that team was the same. So I, I think a head coach, a good head coach, especially like Roy said, someone who has experience. I know there's a talk of John Harbaugh maybe leaving Baltimore or now I've been hearing rumblings that Mike Tomlin might be out at uh, Pittsburgh. So I think those are two coaches who've been to the Super Bowl, have won, who have built great teams. And I, I think those could be good candidates if available. You know, I heard a stat today, Roy, that Mike McCarthy's record the last three years is just a little bit better than Dirk Cutters in Green Bay. And and he has Aaron Rodgers. I need to check. I, I heard that uh, on Sports Talk Radio. It's always a very, very reliable source. <laughs> but, but to me, you know, what, what's the key for you? I mean, there, there, there are going to be some decent candidates out there. Um, but what's the biggest problem with this team they got to fix right now? Or is there just one problem? No, there's not just one problem. There's a lot of problems. I think you need someone to come in from the outside um, with a very uh, objective opinion uh, who has no ties to any of the players here, doesn't have an axe to grind against any of them, doesn't have a love affair with any of them for any reason. Um, someone who has, as I said, I mean, I, I go a little bit higher than Justin. I go ahead of the head coach and I got to go ahead of the GM. I'll say it again. I want a, a president of football operations, um, someone between the Glazers and the general manager who's overseeing the entire football operation. And I'm, 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 I don't know if it's possible. I'm looking for Rich McKay. I'm looking, and, and if he's not available, then I'm looking for someone like him. As I said, like Tom Coughlin, someone who, is, who has done it, who's built a franchise, who knows who the head coaches are, knows how to build a, a team, and has the ability to do it and, and turn it around in a couple of years. Um, that's what this team needs badly. It needs oversight from the very top. It needs someone who can tell the Glazers, you guys just sign the checks. I'll take care of the rest. A Bill Parcells type, you know? I was um, just thinking him, yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Rich McKay, I don't know if he would come back. You know, he's still heavily involved with the uh, with the Falcons. Uh, I think he's pretty comfortable in Atlanta. My guess is he probably would come back if the opportunity were here. Uh, Tony Dungy is a guy who I think could do it. Um, someone who basically sets the tone for the franchise from the very top, um, who speaks for everyone and basically dictates, this is how we are going to win football games here. This is how we're going to act. This is how we're going to dress on the road. This is where we're going to travel. You know, this is, this is how we're going to set up our travel schedule. Someone who has uh, success in, in, in doing that at the very top. That's where it starts. Um, and I would leave it to that person to pick the new general manager and coach. I just did the uh, addition here. Uh, Dirk Cutter, 19 and 26 last three years. Mike McCarthy, 21 and 22. Just for you, Mike McCarthy lovers out there, because McCarthy had a pretty good quarterback up in Green Bay. Um, I used to think you had to keep Dirk Cutter because of Jameis Winston. I think that's why he obviously got the job for the comfort level there. But obviously that relationship has gone astray. And it's not just Cutter's fault. It's just there needs to be a new voice with Jameis, too, because as much as I've criticized Jameis Winston on this podcast, Roy, we've talked about this, but 
they've invested way too much in Jameis Winston to give up on Jameis Winston. And he showed some signs. I like the way he's responded the last couple of weeks, even though he didn't have a good second half against the New Orleans Saints. So, yeah, you got to just clean house, bring in a new general manager, bring in a new head coach. My thing with Rich McKay is I was a big fan of Rich McKay when he was with the Bucks and he had some great drafts. But what happened in Atlanta with him? I mean, to me, he kind of he, he didn't have the mojo up there. Well, he took on a different role. Um, basically, uh, when he first went there, uh, a lot of, a lot was being done by the owner. And then eventually, in fact, in pretty short order, Rich McKay became the, the spearhead, uh, of the effort to build a new stadium. So they took him out of the football realm, really. Um, and a lot of that had to do with who the coaches were that were being brought in as well. Um, and he, I think he was glad to do it. You know, he's an administrative type. But I can tell you right now, Rich McKay knows how to build a franchise. He knows what the basic objective is of NFL teams. Um, he once told me, you know, what he used to tell the Glazers when he was in charge of the Buccaneers. He said, you know, and, and, and it was their choice. I mean, it was the Glazers' choice. And he made that point. He said, what do you want to be? He said, you want to be in the running every year, uh, you know, and, and be a team good enough to get to the playoffs every year? Or do you just want to take, you just want to win a super, win your Super Bowl and then, you know, hope you win another one somewhere down the road? There's two ways to go. And, and you know, and they said, look, we want to be a team that's in the, in the mix every year. And they said, okay, then we'll do that. And that line of thinking prevailed as long as Tony Dungy was the coach. When John Gruden got here, it was all about winning the Super Bowl. And once they won one, then it was about winning another one. It wasn't about building a franchise, you know, for the next 10 or 12 years uh, that, that, that was always going to be in the mix and get into the, tur- you know, there's a, there's a goal among many teams in the NFL and it's to get to the tournament. And by tournament, I mean the, the playoffs. And if you're an eight and eight, nine and seven team every year, uh, the breaks are going to break your way one year and you're going to get there. And, and if the breaks really break your way, you're probably going to get to the Super Bowl and may, you may win it. And that's the kind of team the Buccaneers had under Tony Dungy. And boy, doesn't everybody miss that now when you were a competitor, when you were in there every year. Teams like that are the, and you can see them out there. They're, they're out, you, you, we know who they are. You look at them, it's the Seattle Seahawks. It's the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's the, 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 the New England Patriots. They're there every year. The Houston Texans have kind of become that kind of team. They're there every year. The Packers were, but they're kind of in a weak division. Um, you know, that's really what the Rams are doing right now. They're trying to become one of those teams that they're always in the mix. They don't always make it, but they're always in the mix. Always a team that you kind of got to watch out for. The Giants were that way under Tom Coughlin. Um, they're not that way now. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's not there. Uh, so that's where that was the approach that they took under Dungey. And I think that's the approach they need to take again. You know, what's crazy is, um, let's play the what if game. Cause we can do that on podcasts. John Gruden, to me, his fatal flaw is trying to do everything, trying to be head coach and general manager. We know he's a great head coach, but he's a horrible general manager. If he would have put his ego aside and he and McKay could have worked together, it would how how successful would the Bucks be or where would they be today, you think? I think they would have become one of the greatest franchises in the game, and I think it would have been sustainable. That's the I mean, you see what John, what John Gruden did. Uh, here and gee, history is repeating itself again in, in Oakland. <laughs> yeah, McKenzie yeah. is gone. It's crazy. Is in charge. 
They've gotten rid of their two best players, and the franchise seems to be swirling down the drain. And it's exactly what happened here. John Gruden got here. He pushed Rich McKay aside. Rich McKay said, okay, if that's how it's going to be, okay, I'll move on. And eventually, it wasn't just Rich McKay. It was John Lynch before he was done. It was Warren Sapp before he was done. It was Warwick Dunn before he was done. Uh, it was Mike Allstott, don't need you anymore. Um, and you, they never built a sustainable model. And that's what, unfortunately, and, and, and again, nobody wants to really admit this, but that's what Mark Dominic inherited. And he couldn't fix it. Uh, he tried his best. And Jason Light hasn't been able to fix it. And he's tried his best. Yeah, the what-if game is a powerful one because uh, I think that would have uh, changed a lot of the whole Raheem Morris, Greg Schiano, Lovey Smith, Dirk Cutter, uh, I don't know, just unbelievable catastrophes the Bucks have been a part of. Okay, so do you think um, moving forward now, we've talked about the coach and the GM obviously have to have to you know be, be out of here in Tampa Bay. What about personnel in terms of a position group? Is there one position on this team – that's the most important in turning around right now, Roy. Well, it's the trenches, um, both lines. You, you have to start drafting for the line um, for both. Uh, I like this is why I, I still don't have a problem with the Vita Vea pick. Um, I hope he fits what the new coach and you know because you've invested in him. Um, but I think you got to start spending money in the line. I mean, and not just because they we're coming off a game where. Uh, James Winston was under duress all day, uh, not just because we're coming off a game where uh, the, the line couldn't open holes for the running game, um, uh, not just because we're coming off a game where the defense you know, got only one sack. Um, I think you've got, you've got to stop spending loads of money on free agents, even if they work out like Jason Pierre-Paul, because Jason Pierre-Paul's worked out great, but Unrine didn't work out, Bo Allen didn't work out, Vinnie Curry's you know, been spotty. Uh, a lot of money was wasted. You need to start drafting for the trenches because that's where you win in the NFL. You win in the trenches. You build from the line back. That's how it works, and especially on defense, and that's where they've got to go. Isn't it amazing? Vinnie Curry, Bo Allen, uh, Ryan Jensen. I mean, it, all these guys were, were supposed to lead the big turnaround for this football team. It goes back to what you say, Roy. It's uh, don't get too high or low with this free agency. Well, you, one, one, one quick thing. Uh, I was once told by a general manager, free agency is where you go to fill the holes that you failed to fill through the draft. Yeah. And you can look at the Buccaneers and see that that's exactly what's happened. They failed to draft uh, another guard after Marpet. Um, they're, they're now more holes are opening up. They don't have a center. Uh, the Demar Dotson at right tackle. That's an area they've got to start drafting for. And obviously the defensive line, they've been trying to fill that with free agents for years and it doesn't work. You've got to draft for that spot. It's, it's unbelievable. Justin, uh, biggest personnel concern for you. Well, I definitely agree. I think offensive line is a major issue. Um, I, I'm not, I, I wouldn't be too concerned with the defensive line. I mean, an extra player always helps. I would almost look at cornerback. I think that's another issue. I know they drafted uh, two last year. Uh, they were kind of – N.J. Stewart's been banged up. But I'd like to see them get a star player in the first round. I mean, you, you just look at the Saints, and when they got Marshawn Latimer, that totally changed their whole defense. And I think – 
maybe one good player like that in the draft in the first round could do wonders to the defense as well. You know what you're talking about, Justin? You're talking about a situation, and I, I agree. I, I would like to see a cornerback too, but they invested in cornerbacks this year heavily, uh, drafting three of them, or not cornerbacks, but defensive backs. Right. Um, you're losing pieces there, but you know what? This team's got to start being prepared for the day that Gerald McCoy hits the wall, which my guess is coming up soon. Um, same with JPP. Uh, Vinnie Curry probably has hit the wall. I don't know if Bo Allen will be back. Um, there's not a lot of pieces there. So, you know what I think is what we're, what we're getting to, guys? I think we're getting to the point where whoever comes in seriously has to think about what assets do I have that I can move to get first and early second round draft picks in order so that I – the Buccaneers, I think, in order to turn this thing around and start doing what they need to do, they need to have like three first round picks and a couple of second round picks. They need five players in the first two rounds in one of these up next two drafts in order to turn this thing around and get this thing back on track, I think. I think that's what we're looking at. And I think you might – no one should be surprised if it happens. Whoever comes in says, you know what? If whatever I can get for Gerald McCoy, whatever I can get for, believe it or not, maybe even a, you know, God knows, maybe a Mike Evans or a, or, or a Chris Godwin or something like that. You start trading these pieces – uh, to get assets that you can then combine to to move up higher into the in the draft, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these moves start to happen. Three things from that comment, Roy. When when Justin talked about Marshawn Lattimore, it really proves your point because everybody in New Orleans was howling at the moon, and I was one of the howlers saying you need Malcolm Butler in here. That New England Patriots aren't happy with him bringing Malcolm Butler, and I thought it would have been a great move. It would have you know given them a corner who's a proven guy and in a position they, they desperately needed. But instead, Marshawn Lattimore falls to them because the draft was kind of crazy that year. And then they still could have traded for him, but they they didn't. And they drafted Ryan Ramchek, who everybody's like, what? They, <laughs> they don't need more offense. They need defense. Well, all of a sudden, that may be, you know, arguably the best draft class in the history of the NFL. Ryan Ramchek's the right tackle for probably the next 10 years. Then they go on and, you know, get Marcus Williams to safety and Alvin Kamara and, it's, it's an excellent draft, but it, it proves your point on, you know, you got to build in the draft, not in free agency. And speaking of, you know, players that are maybe dispensable, Justin, you know what time it is. Three and out, three questions, and we're out of here. I said three things. The other thing I was going to say is we haven't talked about Jameis Winston much. We can discuss him and whether the Bucks get a veteran guy coming in here uh, besides Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, in future podcasts. But we have three questions, and I think you guys are going to like these. Uh, question number one, I think Mike Evans and I think Jason Pierre-Paul are indispensable players on this football team. Can you think of another, really, Roy Cummings? Uh, I, I think O.J. Howard is, and I and I think Jameis Winston is. Uh, I, I you've invested you, you, when you invest a first overall pick in a quarterback, and he he falls maybe a little bit short of expectations through four years. Um, you don't quit on him. Uh, they're too hard to find. Uh, I would put O.J. Howard, and I would put um, Jameis Winston in that category. Justin. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I'll go with Roy since usually he answers my questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, 
I don't see any of those offensive linemen being indispensable. I, I look at Jason Pierre-Paul. I would trade Gerald McCoy. if I, I mean, to me, right now, you trade Gerald McCoy because you can get something for him. I don't think he's indispensable. Um, certainly, they don't have a kicker who's indispensable or a punter. I don't think Jameis Winston is indispensable. I think if you can get anything for him, you, you, you clean house. And I, I, know, I, I know I'm backtracking because I said you've invested in him, but I'd listen to offers if you get something good. But I agree with you, O.J. Howard would be my guy because as, as good as Cam Braid is, O.J. Howard is one of those guys that's just going to get better and better and could revolutionize that position. So I agree with you, Roy. O.J. Howard was the guy I was thinking about. But, man, I'd trade Gerald McCoy, and I, I'd, listen to, I'd listen to offers for Jameis Winston. How do you feel about those two things? Well, I would listen to offers for McCoy. I, I, I would listen to offers for Winston, but I seriously doubt you're going to get a one, a, a one overall for him. Yeah, and yeah. and I I'm not even sure you get a one for him, um, you know, because uh, most teams will say, you know, look, I, I I can get that guy in the draft, um, you know, and I don't have to spend, you know, but I, so I don't think I don't think you get a one overall, and and again, having invested that one overall, and again, all James Winston has done is maybe fallen just a little bit short of expectations here. Um, he's done a lot, a lot, a lot of good things. Um, he's had some bad moments. He's he's got, got some questionable character things still. But at the end of the day, um, I mean, you see what the kind of money that was put into Kirk Cousins, and what's he getting you? So oh. I, I I invest in coaches who can make Jameis Winston better uh, instead of trying to get move him. Uh, two players like him are too hard to find. What about mm-hmm. Cam? What about Cam Brave? You think he could be a potential to try and? Well, he's not at the same level as OJ Howard. Well, no, uh, clearly not. But maybe if we're getting rid of some pieces. Yeah, he's a guy I would. I hate to say it, I would dangle him because yeah. I think you've got a solid backup in Anthony Auclair. I think I think Cam Braid is a guy who could bring a second or third round pick uh, yeah. because he's that good of a tight end. Um, I'd say a guy who's not, you know, uh, indispensable. But he's he he's pretty damn good. Is Adam Humphreys? You got You got to find room to keep him. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you got to keep some pieces, or else you're you're not going to go anywhere. But uh, and it's hard, you know, to move some of the the talent pieces on offense. But um, in in order to make a splash, you might have to do something like that. All right. Uh, question number two. I looked at the uh, free agents for 2019. I'm going to throw out three names. If you could have. Uh, uh, one of these three guys, and I was going to put old Teddy Bridgewater, but I didn't want to make uh, Roy Cummings' blood pressure go through the roof. So <laughs> I won't put him out there. But uh, here's three of them. Um, Landon Collins, nice safety from the Giants. Tyron Matthew, another good uh, uh, safety from uh, the Houston Texans. Or Le'Veon Bell, possibly. Of those three, uh, you, you could say no, none of them. Or, or is there one guy that stands out there from uh, the free agents? Roy, you can go first. Justin, you go first. Okay, nice. I appreciate that. Um, I would love to see Le'Veon Bell in Tampa. I just feel like after he sat out, he's going to want his money. And I don't know if it's worth paying him as much as, as he's probably going to want, especially if the Bucks are going to retool their team. But of the three, I would love to see Le'Veon in Tampa. Uh, I'm not touching any of them. Here's why. Uh, <laughs> too much money for Le'Veon Bell, and I don't like the character anymore. Uh, too much money for Tyrann Matthew, and uh, I, I like the character. Um, I think he's turned his life around, turned his game around, um, but I don't need the safety. And it's the same reason why I don't want Landon Collins. 
I think safety is an area where the Buccaneers are growing and growing well. Um, I really like Justin Evans a lot. Uh, there were times this year when he was playing when I thought he might be the best player on defense uh, for the Buccaneers. And uh, I, I, I really like, and I mean, I wrote about it um, this week in, uh, in my rapid reaction to the, to the game on Sunday. I think Jordan Whitehead is an old school safety who's figuring out how to play old school football at that position in the, in the new wave NFL. Um, I kind of like what they're doing at safety. So I stay away from the two safeties and I, I stay away from Le'Veon Bell because it's a, in my opinion, it's a waste of money. I, I, I don't like the character there. I'd probably look at uh, Matthew just because I think he's a, he's a guy who's turned his life around and, I think they need a veteran back there because Grimes obviously is not going to be there. I think they need a veteran. Yeah, I wouldn't touch Le- touch Le'Veon Bell with a 30-foot pole. And Landon Collins, I think there's some – he's kind of off and on. He's been up and down. What if I threw uh, Jay Ajay from the Eagles out there? Um, I, I would consider that uh, not at a big ticket, though, because, uh, you know, he's, he's, look, he's been with a couple of teams. He's having trouble staying healthy. Um, and boy, I'll tell you something else. He's, he's not, he, everywhere he goes, there's always a little bit of an issue. He, he's a bit of a freelancer. Um, doesn't necessarily do things the way the team wants him to all the time. So, uh, be careful with that one. All right. Our last one. And I definitely, Roy, you made the right move. We got to have Justin go before you moving forward here. (laughs) I, I this you may go off the board on this one too. You went off the board saying I don't want any of them. I, I guess you know you're right. If I would have thrown maybe a good offensive lineman, a defensive lineman, that would have been better. But I didn't. And Dominican Sue's a free agent. I don't want to touch that guy either. Nah, too much money, too old. Yeah, and get young. Too much of a pain in the ass too, for the most part. Yeah. But uh, I'm gonna give you. I, I looked at concerts coming up in 2019. See, you know, we have free agents, we have concerts, and. Um, Frankly, I'll, this is a tough decision for me. I, I would go see all three of these in a heartbeat, and I think I will. Two of them are touring together, but I'm throwing out three of them. You got to go see one of them, okay? Okay. You got to go see one of them. Justin, you first. My man Bob Seeger is going to be in the Tampa Bay area. <laughs> Hootie and the Blowfish are back, baby. They're touring oh, again. And you got Bare Naked Ladies. Uh, I'm going to take a gun and shoot myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like any of those. Oh, no. um, <laughs> no. no. Just offered him Le'Veon Bell, Landon Collins. And Matthew, man. Oh, my God. Wow. No, uh, I mean, look, I, uh, I don't know. Hootie and the Bob Seger's Bob Seger. Oh, my gosh. I just I think Bob Seger was before my time. Hootie, I never liked. Although Darius Rucker apparently is a really great person. Yeah. Uh, I could care less about bare naked ladies. If you made me go to one of those three, I would do everything in my power to escape and run away, whatever it took. That, that that sounds like torture to me. Going to those concerts, oh, you got to go one though. You can't pick one. You have to. You, okay, I'll go with Hootie. Three tickets. You can walk across the street and go see one of them. Of the three, I would I would take Hootie and the Blowfish. Okay, Roy, Roy, you you walking too? Not a chance, man. <laughs> I'm going to see Bob Seeger. I'm going to see Bob Seeger. Bob Seeger or Michael McDonald? No, Bob Seeger. I'll go see Bob Seeger. Look, I, 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 because you brought him up, you know, uh, back at the beginning of the season, 
I taught myself how to play Main Street and Against the Wind, two of oh, my nice. favorite songs, his two best songs. Now, look, I'm covering my ears when old-fashioned rock and roll comes on, all right? I don't but want to hear that crap. Fault. That's not his fault. That's, that's, that's Risky Business's fault. At the end of the day, all right, that, that, that piano riff at the start just – to me, it's just bad. But anyway, uh, I'll go see Bob Seger. And you know what? I'll, I'll actually enjoy it, I think. You know what? Um, I, I, I think Still the Same is one of Bob Seger's best songs. It, you know what? I've got three Bob Seger songs on my uh, iPad right now, okay? And those are the three. Against the Wind, Main Street, and... All right. All right. You know what? You know what? Both of you, and I know, Justin, you're going to have to kind of pick on yourself here. You know what I think about both of your comments right now? Let's go back to the first clip at the beginning of the show. This is what I think about your music choices right now. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. I tell you, it just doesn't matter. I want Dirk Cutter to get on a stool and scream like that. You know what, Dirk? You got three weeks left, buddy. Who cares? Do whatever the hell you want. You're going to get paid anyway, right? I'll tell you what. He should get on a stool and 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 ask, you got three weeks left. Who cares? Show yeah. me you care. You got three yeah. weeks left. Show me you care. Yeah. You know what, though? We'll get into this later on Thursday when we resume our podcast. I'll be real interested to see how these teams play for him. This team plays for him uh, moving forward now. That is one of the interesting things to watch in the final three games for sure. All right, just, just so you guys know, Bare Naked Ladies is all over my iPod. Judge me if you want. Oh, uh, I I'm certainly big, am judging you now. Big Bob Seeger is huge on my iPod, and Hooting the Blowfish would be last on that list. But the fact that Bare Naked Ladies are opening for Hooting the Blowfish, I may ruin my reputation with both of you, go see Bare Naked Ladies, and just walk out and not see Hootie afterwards. Oh, man. Wow. And so. it's a reunion reunion tour for Hootie and the Blowfish. He used to just be Hootie. Now it's now he's got the Blowfish back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So man, hey, people people really they rip Hootie and the Blowfish like I'm trying to think of a, a parallel here. Like you wonder why some people rip on something in society because it becomes kind of trendy to hate it when it's really not that bad. I think Hootie and the Blowfish fall in that category. Like I'm going to hate this because. Every, you know what? Nickelback's like that. Oh, I was just thinking that. Everybody hates Nickelback. You know why? Because it's cool to hate nipple, Nickelback. Oh, because they suck. That's why they oh. hate Nickelback. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what? I'm going to wrap it up right now. I am out of here. This is another rendition of A Few Extra Bucks. Remember, though, we're expanding our website. We have polls. So log on. Subscribe to PeterPowers.com. It's free. Check out our latest poll. If you are the Bucks general manager or run or own this team, what's the biggest change you would make? Vote in our poll. We'd love to get our results Thursday in our podcast. But that's it. For Justin Thomas, our producer. For Roy Cummings, our Buccaneer insider. For our title sponsors, House of Brews and Sea Dog Brewing Company. Great food, great brews, great service. I am merely Mike Neighbors. We'll have much more on Thursday. But, yeah, go to PeterPyrus.com. Vote in our poll. If you were in charge of the Bucks, how would you turn things around? We'll have our results Thursday in our A Few Extra Bucks podcast. Thanks for logging on. Hey.